Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Matthew, chapter 21. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. All the pictures you see, they take it from the Mount of Olives on the east side of Jerusalem. So at the bottom, you can see the east gate, which is the gate, by the way, that Jesus is going to come back through when he comes back. Oh, yeah. Now, it's in that gate that, that, that they have all these graves in front of it, the Muslims, because they believe that no good Jew would ever come near a dead body. And so they put these graves in front of that east gate. If you look at the picture, you'll see there are tombs and right there before it. And I'm, oh, how ridiculous is that? That's just ridiculous. As if that's going to stop Jesus from coming through that gate. Hello? It isn't. He's going to come through that gate. Well, from the Mount of Olives on the east side, you can also, right next to the Mount of Olives is the Garden of Gethsemane. Gethsemane means olive press. It's in this area that you're coming down the Mount of Olives and you cross the Kidron Valley and you head up into the Temple Mount area where you see that Dome of the Rock Mosque. So Jesus is on his way into Jerusalem and notice he tells his disciples to go into the village to get a donkey. And he told them if someone asks what you're doing, then tell them that the Lord has need of the donkey. Here is another odd statement and an amazing statement. I mean, think about this. God has need of something. That's amazing. Remember, we're talking about the one who said light be and light was. We're talking about the God who created and owns everything. Colossians tells us that by his word, he's holding everything together by the word of his power. We're talking about a God who who is Lord over all creation, and yet he needs something. He needs a donkey. Well, it's not the first time that the Lord needed anything. He needed a boat to preach in from the Galilee, from from the Sea of Galilee. He needed five loaves and two fish to feed the crowd. He needed to get a coin out of the fish's mouth to pay the taxes. Remember? Because he didn't have any money. Which makes me most like Jesus. No money. He needed to borrow a tomb from Joseph of Arimathea. Now, of course, he only needed it for the weekend. But he needed to borrow a tomb. And now he needs a donkey to ride into Jerusalem. And so he borrows that donkey. You see, the truth is, does the Lord need anything? No. Does he need anything from you and me? Well, not really. But you know what? The Lord, I see the Lord like like we do. If you have like a small child and you're like building something and you got a three-year-old. And daddy, can, can, can I help you 
build that thing? And, and you say, yeah, yeah, come on, take your hand and put it here and take your hand and do and then do this and then do that. And, and that three-year-old, boy, when it's all built and all said and done, the three-year-old, three-year-old says, you know what, I built that. Dad says, well, no, you didn't. You actually just helped me. Well, well, yeah, son, yeah, you built it. It's okay. You see, what happens is, and I think God's relationship with us is just like that. God lets us take part in what he's doing. God lets us take part. Now, we tend to take credit for it. We want to say, oh, yeah, well, I did that. The reality is you did nothing. The reality is God allows us, God blesses us, God gives us the opportunity to learn and be blessed and to help him in what he needs, what he needs to have done. So does he need anything? No. Does he choose to use us as he's doing his work on earth? Yeah. Now, why did Jesus do that? Why did he tell the disciples to go get the donkey? Notice in verse four in your Bibles that it might be fulfilled. Did you see that? Jesus is quoting from Zechariah 9, 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you and he is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. Jesus is simply fulfilling prophecy here which is one of the strongest evidences as why the word of God is the word of God, because God speaks that which is going to happen. This prophecy, probably a thousand years before it happened prophecy. And then Daniel chapter nine, verse nine is also a very poignant prophecy for this text, because Daniel chapter nine, verse nine is the here in our text is the fulfillment of Daniel nine. Daniel 9, verse, verse uh, 25, actually, it's not verse 9, it's Daniel 9, 25, and it says, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the Messiah, the Prince, will be cut off. Now, this is a very huge, important prophecy as it relates to the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ. Very important. You see, in this prophecy, Daniel is talking about after the command is given in Nehemiah chapter 2 to rebuild and to restore Jerusalem, which is March 14th, 445 BC, using the, now listen, using the Jewish lunar calendar, hit your clicker and start clicking the days from March 14th, 445 BC, start clicking the days and count. 173,880 days, which will bring you to April 6, 3 or 32 AD, which is the day that we are reading about right here in Matthew chapter 21. March 14th, let me give it to you again because this is huge. March 14th, 445 BC. Using a Jewish calendar, that's important. Start clicking. Count 173,880 days, and that will bring you to April 6, 32 AD. That is the day that Jesus made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. This day, this text, Matthew 21, is the formal presentation of Jesus being their Messiah. And over in the Gospel of Luke, It says that as Jesus was heading into Jerusalem on this day, April 6, 32 AD, he stopped 
And he started weeping. Why? Because he knew it was on this day. Israel did not recognize him. You see, that's why it's the sins of rejection. Because they did not recognize him as their Messiah. And Jesus said, you have missed your day of visitation. In other words, this is the day that I have come to you and you didn't even see it. And the reason why it breaks his heart, because they should have known it. Because they should have been reading their Bibles. And because they weren't reading their Bibles in Daniel 9.25, and they weren't clicking and watching 173,880 days, they didn't know. If they had been reading their Bibles, they would have known the day that Jesus came riding into Jerusalem. God put it all in his word. Hello, read it. He didn't just show up. See, this is the thing. This is why I'm not going to finish this outline. Because he did not show up. He did not show up and say, hey, everybody, I'm Jesus. I am the Messiah. And I want you all to know and follow me. Just because I say I am. Well, how many lunatics do that? John said there are many false Christs. I mean, so what? You claim to be Christ. I'm Christ. You're Christ. We're all Christ. We're all Christ. I mean, Christ. We are the Christ consciousness. We're all Christ. So what? So what? You claim to be Christ. So what? But when Jesus came into Jerusalem, he was who he said he was, and they should have known it. And they could have known it if they would have been following the scriptures. But they weren't. And they didn't. And that's why he wept. Over it. They missed their day of visitation. Very important. They weren't reading their Bibles. Well, notice they brought the donkey and the colt to Jesus. You know, a donkey is an animal of what? Peace. You know that. And the horse is an animal of conquering. So Jesus riding on this donkey was simply even riding the donkey was simply telling people that I'm, I'm coming in humility. I'm not coming to conquer. Now, understand something. When Jesus comes back for his second coming, he's coming back in judgment. And he's going to be riding a white horse, which speaks of conquering and judgment. Well, Josephus tells us, a Jewish historian, he tells us in Jerusalem about this time, there were two million people, approximately two million people in Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. That's a lot of people. Well, Jesus comes riding in. People throw their clothes on the road. And they start waving palm branches and saying, Hosanna, which means save now. But see, they didn't want Jesus to save their soul. They weren't saying, Jesus, save us from our sin. They weren't saying, Jesus, save our soul. They wanted Jesus to overthrow the Roman government politically and economically. You see, Jesus didn't come. The Bible's clear. Jesus did not come to give people freedom from politics or freedom from Roman oppression or freedom from this world system, per se. Jesus came, the Bible says, he died on Calvary's cross to give you a home in heaven. Amen, saints? That's why he came. And there's a big difference from what the people saw that day and what the Lord was doing. The people saw Jesus entering in splendor to take the throne. But Jesus entered in with a humble spirit to accept his fate. The people could smell victory in the air. Jesus tasted suffering and death. 
The people thought he was the man of the hour. And Jesus knew that his hour had come. Well, then notice it's interesting because when the crowd realized that Jesus didn't come to give them political freedom from oppression of Rome, he didn't give them what they wanted. The same people who were saying Hosanna were now saying crucify him and they turned their backs on him. Isn't that how people are? You know, Jesus doesn't give them what they want. And so because people come to Christ because they think he's a genie in a bottle or, or they think that he's like the cosmic bellhop coming to serve them their wishes. And when God doesn't give them what they want or what they think they want, then they turn their backs on him. That happens all too often. You know what? Let me let me just share something with you. I was thinking about this this morning. Let me share something with you. Jesus died. Listen, listen, close. Jesus died for your sins. And if he never does anything else for you in life, he has already done plenty enough for you to worship him. Somebody say amen. He died for you. You know, people say, what do you want from me, blood? Well, yeah, he gave his blood. Yeah. He di- and if you never, if he never does another thing for you, he deserves our worship. Hey, listen, we're not going to hell. We Christians, if you're a Christian here, you're not going to hell. You are going to heaven. For the Christian, this world is as bad as it gets. For the Christian, it's onward and upward. Now, if you're not a Christian, then let me tell you, party hardy. I'm party, man, party, enjoy. Enjoy this life. I don't want to become a Christian. I want to party hardy. Okay, well then, have a good time. Make as much money as you can. Enjoy as much and suck all of life that you can get out of it. Because can I tell you something? From here, for you, non-Christian, it's onward and downward. It doesn't get no better for you. Not than this. This is the best it gets. This is heaven for you. I guess this really is heaven for you. But for the believer, it's onward and upward. This is as worse as it gets. And quite honestly, it ain't so bad because we have the Lord to protect us. Amen, saints. And we've got the Lord on our side and he's our shield and he's our buckler. It's not so bad. But for the non-believer, it's going to get worse. Well, the second and final point (laughs) this morning, the purifying of the temple. We just read it in verses 12 through 16. Jesus enters Jerusalem. And did you notice this? He heads straight for the temple and he deals with the religious people. And he turns over the tables and the money changers in the temple. Now, you want to notice something. You can look it up in your own time. But three years ago, John chapter 2, Jesus did the same thing. He drove out the money changers of the temple. Now, it's in this area that where Jesus went. It's called the court of the Gentiles. It's the only place where Gentiles were allowed. And it's in this area where they should have been worshiping and praying. But it became a place of Praying, P-R-E-Y-I-N-G, and paying. They should have been worshiping and praying, but they were praying on the people, and the people were, ha- the people were having to pay. You see, the people had to pay a temple tax, but they couldn't pay it with their Roman money. They had a Jewish shekel. They had to pay it with a Jewish shekel. 
And the only way to get one was to go to the temple and exchange money for the temple coin. These guys were ripping them off. So it's almost like if people came here on Sunday morning, people come here on Sunday morning and they say, you know, uh, I want to give some money, which we will never refuse, by the way. I'm just, just kidding. They say they come in, they go, well, you know, that's Rodney. I want to give some money. And we say, oh, well, you know, I'm sorry we can't take your money because, you know, it has uh, heathen cooties on it. But if we could direct your attention to the, the cafe area where we have money changers and they'll exchange your money for Calvary bucks, you see, and we'll just need to charge you a very high exchange rate for the Calvary bucks and the interest from that will go to the pastor's pocket. It would be the same thing. A ripoff. Jesus was upset about that. Also in this area, people would come and they would bring a sacrifice and the sacrifice had to be without blemish. And the priest would come. These people would travel long distances. They would bring their sacrifice to the priest. The priest would take the sacrifice and he would look it over and examine it to make sure it had no blemish. Even if it was a perfect sacrifice, the priest would say, oh, you know, I I see a a, a blemish here. Did you uh, bring this animal from home? And they, yes, yes, we raised it ourselves. We bought it here. And they would say, well, you know, there's a blemish on it. But I'll tell you what, we will be happy to show you our pre-approved sacrifices or our sacrifices that have the good sacrifice stamp of, of approval on them. And you can purchase one of those. They're very expensive and they're three times as much, but it'll save you a trip all the way back home. And again, ripping off the people taking advantage of the people. And so Jesus turns over the tables of the money changers. I mean, think about that. Turning over the tables, you know, that's a very violent act. Now, doesn't this destroy the whole Sunday school Jesus mentality? You know, people think Jesus is always so sweet and so nice and just, you know, bland, you know, never gets upset. You know, the Bible says, be angry, but sin not. Jesus was a perfect example of being angry but sinning not. He took a whip. The other, the other text tells us, the other gospels tell us, he took a whip and he began going through there and just whipping that whip around and turning over the money changers. And it's interesting because not one person got hit by it. I find that interesting. That tells me that his anger was in control. But turning over those money changers and those tables and, 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 and driving the people out, you see, destroys, again, our whole mentality of the nice and meek and mild Jesus. Taking advantage of the people and the money. And, and, and you know, this, of course, this brings me to the issues that the church is facing today. As many, many people, I don't know about you, but, you know, Christian TV would be very interesting. If right in the middle they were saying, sow your seed for your need. And Jesus comes running out with a whip and chase him right off the set. Wouldn't it, wouldn't it be kind of interesting? And they're like, ah, oh, and the camera goes all crazy and everything. Or while they're having their begathon, I mean praiseathon, I'm sorry. What, what was that? What was that? You know, I just drive him right off the set. Do you, God hates it when people take advantage of his people. You understand that? Say, man, would you? He, God hates that. 
And this is what's going on in the church today. And I honestly believe if Jesus were Jesus was here today, he would go in and he'd turn over a lot of TV stations and a lot of radio broadcasts and a lot of churches and four offerings a Sunday morning. Well, then notice Jesus quoted to them in your text. Notice in verse nine, it is written. My house shall be called a house of prayer. Pardon me, verse 13. My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Jesus says, you've made my house a place where thieves hide after they've committed crimes. A place where they cover up their sins. You see, don't just go to church or come to Jesus to get you out of trouble or to just cover up your sins. God hates that. And instead of people being made holy in the temple, they were making the temple unholy. And Jesus says, I want my house to be a house of prayer. Notice he doesn't want programs or planning committees. He wants his house to be a house where people come to seek God and pour out their hearts to God and have communion with God. And not just a house of prayer, but his house is also to be a house of healing and a house of teaching and a house of praise. And a house of worship, verse 15 and 16, you see that? Out of the mouths of babes nursing infants, you have perfected praise. God loves it, and I'll close with this. God loves it when we as his people praise him. And the scripture says that praise looks good on the upright. Do you know when you're praising the Lord, that's when you look the best to the Lord? Man, you think when you're praising the Lord is when, and you look the best is when you got on your cool clothes. When you got on your nice suit and you got on your fixed, you know, you look good. You look sharp. You, uh, that's nice. Don't misunderstand me. It's nice to look nice. But that's not what God, God is not in heaven thinking, wow, you sure do look mighty fine today. Got on your Sunday best, you look mighty fine. That's, that's, not, that's not what God's doing. God's saying, hey, how do you look? Are you praising me? Are you worshiping me? Are you crying out to me? Are you calling? See, praise looks good on the upright. God loves it when we praise him. And I don't understand. Personally, on a personal note, I do not understand when people tell me that they are saved and they don't want to sing to the Lord. I'm sorry, I don't understand that. Now, don't misunderstand. I'm not talking about like like singing like like Steve Leslie singing where, you know, you have a really good voice. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about making a joyful noise. Because some of us, that's all we can make. But God, 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 God wants that. He wants your noise. God wants your noise. Remember that. Yeah, I remember one one Sunday we were kind of sitting here and I'm going to tell you who it was and and it wasn't Mom, Cindy, and Uncle Doug because they always sit right behind me. But but there was a some couple in another service sitting right behind us. And boy, were they singing! Oh, they were singing to Jesus. They were crying out. And 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 they were they were making a noise, y'all. It was I don't now sometimes you know you can get distracted in worship. You know what I mean? And I'm just trying to worship Jesus, and they were making a noise. And, and, and I, oh, I, you know, I almost said, you know what? You really are fulfilling that scripture to me. <laughs> you are a fulfillment, my brother. And, uh, but, um, but I didn't. I mean, you know, you know what I thought, honestly? <laughs> I thought to myself, you know, this is what the Lord wants. 
for us as his people to simply make a joyful noise. And you know what? Hey, make a loud noise. Sing unto God. Cry out to God because this is what he wants. Notice out of the mouths of babes and nursing infants, you have perfected praise. Now, you want to hear some worship? Go to that kid's ministry. Little kids, they just scream out. Then they make a noise, but it's a cute noise. But they make a noise, and they praise the Lord, and that's what God wants. And I really believe the sign of a spirit-filled church is a worshiping church. And that's what I love about this church. We really seek to worship God and to call out to God. You keep making that noise because God is looking down, and God sees, and God hears, and God knows. And God receives your worship when you worship him from the heart, in spirit, and in truth. The next time we get together, we'll just pick up on this same outline and we'll talk about this whole fig tree. Read ahead, lots to cover. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch and Calvary Chapel Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.